Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Some people call it Rosh Hashanah. Others say Rosh Hashanah. Uh, In the Bible, it was referred to as the Feast of the Trumpets, or Feast of Trumpets. But it wasn't the kind of trumpet that Louis Armstrong played, for example. The trumpet they're talking about was a ram's horn or a shofar. They really would have been more accurate if they had called it the Feast of Shofars. And it was all about blowing horns (laughs) for all intents and purposes. Uh, But uh, some people believe through looking at the Old Testament and looking at the New Testament that it will be on Rosh Hashanah on the Feast of Trumpets, when the rapture happens, when Jesus will meet those who believe in him in the air. We don't know what year it will be, but we do know what day it will be, Rosh Hashanah. Well, listen to this episode because that's what this episode is all about. Okay, so we are uh, moving forward in our study of the feasts of the Lord, the appointed times that God gave to his people in Leviticus chapter 23, these holy days where God said, I want you on these at these appointed times to make an appointment with me and to be in a certain place at a certain time to do a certain thing. I'm supposed to have a doctor's appointment next week, and I'm hoping it snows so I don't have to go. (laughs) But that's an appointed time. I'm supposed to be at the doctor's office at a certain time, at a certain place, to do a certain thing. And this is the same way. This is an appointed time for God's people to do that too. And I go to the doctor to have better health physically, And God wanted his people to have these appointed times with him, these appointments with him, to have a more healthy life spiritually. And uh, each of them had certain things that they concentrated on, they were focused on, to help his people uh, know him better, understand him better, and be closer to him as a result of these times when they come aside from their normal day-to-day living to meet with him. And so we've had the first uh, four uh, so far, and these were the four, there are seven feasts, like we said, and there are four that are in the fall. We've talked about all of those now, and those were Passover, uh, Unleavened Bread, uh, the Feast of First Fruits, and then the Feast of Weeks, or what we call Pentecost. And uh, we said before that those four uh Feast, those four uh, holy days, uh, for us as Christians, look back to Jesus' first coming. Uh, he fulfilled in those, in that first coming, what those four uh, feasts, those four appointed times, um, uh, talked about, what they concentrated on, what they focused on, what they were, what the purpose of them were supposed to be. He fulfilled. All four of those uh, those 
the meanings behind those uh, four uh, holy days. So now we're moving into the fall feasts, the fall appointed times. And there are three of those, three left, right? The three of those, uh, the one we're going to talk about today is the Feast of Trumpets, which is also known as Rosh Hashanah uh, or Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, but I'll call it Rosh Hashanah. Uh, The Day of Atonement, which is known as Yom Kippur. And then the last one, which is uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also known as Sukkot or Sukkot. And for us as Christians, these next words, the the first four look back at Jesus' first coming. Uh, The next three, these three in the fall, look forward to what's going to be happening next in uh, in the calendar of what God is doing, what's going to be happening in the future in terms of the way that God deals with his people and that we see Christ uh, in, in what's going to be happening in the future with him and with our relationship with him. So today we're looking at the first of the fall feast, which is called the Feast of Trumpets, or today it's more widely known as Rosh Hashanah. So what is the theme of this um, we said that, you know, the theme of Passover was uh, redemption. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was sanctification. Uh, the Feast of First Fruits was uh, resurrection. And uh, so what is, what is the, what happened, what is the theme of the Feast of uh, uh, Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah? And generally, the, the broad idea of it is, is freedom, um, but it's freedom through repentance. So, um, you know, God freed his people from slavery in Egypt through Passover, but they experienced freedom as they went and moved to the promised land. And throughout this time, there were times of repentance which gave them freedom. And for example, at the foot of Mount Sinai, where they had to repent of the way they uh, worshiped the golden calf, and they needed to do that before they could move into the freedom of the promised land. So that's kind of the idea of of the uh, Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah is the idea that you gain freedom uh, through your relationship with God, but that comes through repentance. That's the, the idea. So let's look and see kind of what God said about it in uh, his word. Um, Turn to Leviticus 23, and uh, this is is my new Bible. And uh, it's it's called the Tree of Life Bible. The Tree of Life Bible, I, I got it actually because of this study that we're doing, because I've been so enthralled and excited about the things we're learning. And the Tree of Life uh, version is written by the Messianic Jewish Family Bible Society. So it's put together by Messianic Jews. And what they have done with this translation is they, they do everything looking at it through the Jewish perspective. Uh, so both Old Testament and New Testament, because they're believers in Christ, but they, they, they concentrate on, you know, translating it from the, the Jewish world, the Jewish worldview and the Jewish history. And so I'm going to read it today. And you'll probably, if you read along, you'll see some of the differences and, and why they um, have translated it this way. And uh, I have found it to be already really enlightening. So anyway, Leviticus 23 And uh, we're going to start at verse 23. And it says, um, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Benai Israel saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you are to have a Shabbat rest, a memorial of blowing, shofarot, shofarot, a memorial of blowing, shofarot, a holy convocation. You are to do no regular work, and you are to present an offering made by fire to Adonai. 
So that is all that God gave them in Leviticus. If you want to turn over to Numbers 29, he gave them a little more detail about it. <clears throat> so uh, verse tw- I mean chapter 29 of Numbers, and starting with verse 1, it says, On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a sacred assembly. You are to do no laborious work. It is for you a day for sounding the shofar. And I bet everyone's translation says sounding the trumpets. Right. Uh, And so there's there's a difference in terms of the way you think about it, isn't there? So when you say a trumpet, you think of, you know, Louis Armstrong, right? That kind of trumpet. Uh, but when you think of a shofar, you think about, right? It's completely different, isn't it? And it gives you, uh, to me, it gives me a different kind of understanding of what's happening here. So anyway, the sounding of the shofar. You are to prepare a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to Adonai. One young bull from the herd, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, without flaw, uh, with their grain, grain offering, a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah uh, with the bull, two-tenths with the ram, and one-tenth with each of the seven lambs, as well as one male goat as a sin offering. The male goat is always the sin offering in all of these. Uh, to make atonement for yourselves. Uh, also offer the burnt offering for this month with its grain offering, uh, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering, and their appropriate drink offerings as a pleasing aroma to Adonai as an offering by fire. So um, the Feast of Trumpets uh, occurred on the uh, first day of the seventh month of Tishri. It's called Tishri. And um, the... uh, the way they determined uh, wh- when that would happen is it all was based on uh, the new moon. And you know, the new moon is uh, almost no moon. Uh, there might be just a little sliver of a moon uh, for a new moon. So this is when they knew that the first of uh, Tishri was happening. And it's the only uh, holy day that God gave them that starts on the first day of a month. And uh, it was the first day of the seventh month. We know the number seven. We talked about that before, how significant that is. So the first three um, holy days are all in the month of Nisan, which is April, May. Uh, the Feast of Weeks is happening in June or July. And the, the Feast of uh, 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 Trumpets and uh, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, all happen during Tishri, the seventh month, which is in September to October time frame. So, um, this and what what is it? What is it? What happened? What there there are there are um, sacrifices that are made that God calls for here, which is a part of all of the holy days that we've been talking about. All of the appointed times required sacrifices to be made. Uh, no work to be done, so it's uh, it's he calls it himself. It's a Shabbat. It's a it's a Sabbath. Uh, there's no work to be done, um, and other than that, which is common for pretty much all of these, the one distinctive for the Feast of Trumpets is what <clears throat> blowing the trumpet, <laughs> blowing the shofar, right? So that's pretty much it. So yeah, let's go on home and we can process it. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a day of the sounding of the trumpet or the sounding of the shofar in the temple and throughout the land of Israel. So um, it's today called Rosh Hashanah. Um, but that name is never used in the Bible. Rosh Hashanah is you never you don't find that anywhere in Scripture. Uh, it's a name that they attached to this holy day during the second century A.D., which is about 1,500 years after God gave this to His people as a holy day to be observed. And 
Today, uh, for the Jewish people, it is the beginning of a new year. And you say, well, wait a minute. I thought we had Passover in uh, Nisan, uh, according to the Jewish calendar, that Nisan was the first month, and that was the new year. And you're right. So they have two New Year's. We talked about this before, but uh, just to give you an example in today's world, uh, January 1st is the New Year's <laughs> Day of a new year to the calendar year. But if you go to school and you're a student, the new year starts when? <laughs> in the fall, right? So you have a calendar New Year and a New Year's Day. And you have, if you're a student, a new year starting for the school year and the first day of school. And that's a new year for you as an academic. So this is the same kind of idea for them. The actual New Year's Day calendar new year is the first of Nisan, when Passover is in that month, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits. Those are all during the first month of the calendar year. But the uh, Feast of Trumpets begins the civil year, or you might call it the fiscal year, or whatever you want to call it. It's more of the kind of secular year, I guess you could say, uh, for them. Um, and so they still celebrate it as kind of the start of a new year, even though it's not the new year of the calendar year, it's the new year of kind of the fiscal uh, year, the civil year that they have. So. It can get a little bit confusing, but there's a reason that they did that, and uh, we'll talk about that in uh, a little bit. So uh, back in Jesus' day, and, and originally the Feast of Trumpets was to be a one-day uh, observance. He, he says, you know, you come together, you blow the trumpets, you do the sacrifices, and you're done. It's a one-day Shabbat, a one-day Sabbath. Uh, Passover is to be a one day, although as we say, it's attached now to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, so it's an ex it's now kind of an eight day celebration. But Passover itself is one day, and so the Feast of Trumpets was also to be a one day celebration. But it, it actually b became a two day, and even today it's now a two day celebration. And the reason it kind of uh, got to that point is because sometimes it's kind of hard. Back in those days, you know, before mass communication and so forth, it was kind of hard sometimes to tell when's, this, when's the first moon actually begin. Because what, what if it's a cloudy night? <laughs> and you can't, so you're, you're saying, it might be tonight, but it might be tomorrow. And so let's, let's, go, let's go ahead and do it today, but let's do it tomorrow too, just to be sure, you know, make sure we get it right, you know. So it's kind of like... <laughs> When I used to work for the Reds, uh, one of the things I was in charge of was uh, hiring the national anthem singer. And so it was my job to make sure that the national anthem went off without a hitch. Well, uh, what would happen, what I first started, I, we would put one microphone out, um, and it was usually a wireless microphone to make it easy to get in, on and off. Now. I'm not accusing anyone of sabotage, <laughs> but the, the, the stadium was owned by the county, and the county people ran it, and we as the Reds were just, you know, kind of taking up space for them, and we had a good relationship with them, but every now and then I think, you know, they like took some pleasure into making life difficult for us, and so on occasion, more often than it should have happened, the next time they're saying, oh, say can well, it's a I swear someone was turning off and on the switch, you know, to the microphone. But I always got the explanation was, well, you know, it's uh, the batteries, something with the batteries. Something with so I said, okay, i tell you what we're going to do. We're going to start putting two microphones out there, one with a battery and one with a wire. And if one of them goes bad, the other one will be fine. And so I gave myself insurance that the national anthem would be sung completely without problems by going to two microphones instead of one. So this is the same kind of idea. They wanted to get, you know, the Feast of Trumpets right, so they moved two days to give themselves a little extra insurance that they were going to get it right. So that's that's why, and even today, it's still uh, a two-day holiday. 
So um, the, the, did it work? With, the, with them or with me? Yes, it did. Yes, fine, yes. Yes, that's the rest. That's the end. The rest of the story is it worked. Yeah, for them. Because what could they say? I mean, you know, if now if they go bad, someone's obviously turning the switch off and on. Why didn't you just use the wire one from the beginning? Well, because I figured I still have the same problem. I still have some excuse, you know, for it not working. So. Now they've got a lot of extra notes, so you won't miss anything. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was always. Uh, the bane of my, I used to work for the Indiana Pacers uh, in basketball, and my, where I met Jan, by the way, uh, I was her boss oh, for six months, I was and she, I was, she was a pacemate, for the pacer. and I was her boss, a dancing girl is more than yeah. a cheerleader, it's a dancing girl, uh, like dancer, dancers, she, she was a part of the dancers, she was the dancer. <laughs> But uh, I was her boss for six months, and she's been my boss for 33 years or something. We're supposed to be married 40 years. Is that right? 40? Jan, it seems like only 20 minutes. (laughs) Underwater. (laughs) And we're trying to have a serious discussion here about Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so the question is, we're talking about briefly, but... What kind of trumpet was it? So I wanted to read this because he does a really good job of kind of explaining. There were, I mean, metal trumpets, but they they weren't used for this particular purpose. So here he explains how how they came together. It says, most English Bibles do not clearly distinguish the different types of Hebrew trumpets. Uh, there was a straight metal trumpet that was flared at the end. God commanded the sons of Israel to fashion two silver trumpets of hammered work in numbers. The priests sounded these silver trumpets over the sacrifices as a memorial to the Lord. In Solomon's day, the number of silver trumpets in the temple had grown to a magnificent ensemble of 120 trumpets. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian, the priests also blew this trumpet from the southwest corner of the temple wall to announce the beginning and ending of every, every Sabbath. Renderings of these silver trumpets have been uncovered archaeologically with depictions of them found on the Victory Arch of Titus in Rome, we talked about that last week, and on silver coins minted during the Simon Bar Kochba revolt. Talked about that too. In recent days, these trumpets have been reconstructed by the Temple Institute in Jerusalem in preparation of the future rebuilding of the temple, which has to be on the Temple Mount. So... Uh, The other Hebrew trumpet, a shofar, was a curved trumpet fashioned from a ram's horn. In the Hebrew language, the shofar, ram's horn trumpet, was clearly distinguished from uh, the other metal kind of horn. Uh, Trumpets constructed from cow's horns were rejected due to the reminder of Israel's idolatrous worship of the golden calf in the wilderness. The ram's horn was seen as a much more pleasant reminder of God's deliverance or freedom uh, of Isaac through the ram caught in its horns in the thicket. So remember that story? Abraham took Isaac up to sacrifice him, as God told him to do. And just before he did that, God stopped him and said, I've provided the sacrifice for you. And it was a ram caught by his horns in a thicket, Um, which is interesting because rams uh, are climbers. They are mountainous animals. Uh, They know not to get caught in a thicket by their horns, but this one did. And so the rams, that's where the idea of the ram's horn starts, that the Ram was the source of deliverance or freedom uh, for uh, Isaac, which gave freedom and deliverance to God's people. And it was caught by the ram's horn, which is why the ram's horn is the one that is used and lifted up for the shofars. And what they do is they actually take the ram's horn and they have a process where they actually stretch it and they polish it and they do all the stuff. And so it, it's it's a ram's horn, but it's they actually construct it and make it so that it can be sounded as a horn better. Uh, it says, when scripture designated Tishri, the first of Tishri as a day of blowing and a memorial of blowing, 
the type of trumpet for Rosh Hashanah was not specifically identified. Almost without exception, historical observance and rabbinic tradition specified the shofar, not the silver trumpets of the priests, as the primary instrument intended by scripture. Perhaps the original reason for specifying the ram's horn is to be found in the announcement of the Jubilee year. Scripture designated the shofar, not the trumpet fashioned from precious metal, as the trumpet to be blown on Yom Kippur. Every 50th year, the shofar announced the arrival of the Jubilee year, in which the slaves were freed and the fields were given rest from the farming cycle. The modern custom of sounding the shofar at the end of Yom Kippur preserves this ancient command, even through even though Jubilee years are no longer redeemed. Okay, so that's the idea. You did have the metal, uh, silver uh, trumpets, but generally speaking, that's not the kind of trumpet. When you see the word trumpet in Scripture, it it generally almost always means the shofar, the ram's horn. So what kind of blast do you sound on that shofar? So he goes on to talk about that too. He says, after the destruction of the temple, because remember you're supposed to, you're supposed to sound the shofar in the temple. So it says, after the destruction of the temple, much debate arose among the rabbis concerning the sounding of the shofar, since scripture did not explicitly describe the manner of blast required. A compromise was reached that covered all possibilities. Again, we're good about getting that insurance, right? We're not sure. Let's just do a little bit of all of it. So it says um, there was a defi- there was a long, unwavering blast, then three short, broken blasts, and then uh, there was something in Scripture that's mentioned to declare to be a nine-part staccato blast, somewhat reminiscent, reminiscent of sobbing. Collectively, the following pattern was developed for blowing the shofar, a long blast, three short blasts, nine staccato blasts, and then one long blast. So there are a lot of blowing of the horns going on back in. Actually, you know, there, by the time all the all the blowing, all the horns was done. It was like hundreds of times, perhaps. So, um, and you remember the story of Gideon, um, where he had an army of only three hundred, and he went up against the Midianites, and they had like hundred thousand or something. I don't remember the exact numbers now, but they remember they kind of surrounded them up on a hill, and they were down in the valley. And God said, "Blow your shofars." And then the Midianites were, I don't know, this is my son. Uh, So um, the Midianites were panicked and they ended up killing each other as it turned out. Well, the reason for that is because uh, the shofar was well known to uh, Israelites, to the Israelites' enemies uh, as kind of their, uh, you know, battle, battle, you know, the cavalry would blow the, the bugle, uh, this is like they knew that if a company of soldiers were coming from Israel, they were blowing a shofar as they came. Uh, well, what they heard that night, and remember it was in the middle of the night, was 300 shofars being sounded. And so they thought, not that there are 300 men, each with one shofar, they thought there were 300 companies of soldiers coming because they sounded like 300 shofars. So the reason they panicked wasn't because they had 300 men coming against them. They thought they had 300 times, 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 and that is why they panicked. Of course, God put the panic there too, but you can understand, I mean, if you hear a shofar, it's loud. It's a, they call it a blast, and it really is. You can imagine 300 of those going off at night, and it's kind of echoing and reverberating, reverberating around. And so that's why the panic happened. Could well, you, can we tell you a little story about that? Please, absolutely. She, she will tell the story. Does it involve microphones? <laughs> in one of when we were in Israel, we were in Tiberias in a hotel on the um, shore of Galilee. And there were shops and they stayed open late and then they didn't take the merchandise inside at night and some guy played the show far. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> and they kept us away. 
<laughs> that some of the other couples were on the other side. They were they were disappointed that they didn't get a lakeside <clears throat> beer. And said, we'll trade. <laughs> Yeah. So I can't imagine getting to sleep with that noise going on. Well, they were selling these uh, out of the shop, and uh, so yeah. the guy would go out there and say, well, this is how you do it if you want to buy one of those. And he was practicing all night long for uh, Do they actually the play a melody or just... No, no. just no. the blast. But there's a good blast and there's a not good blast. And if you're not trained on how to do it, it can sound terrible if you know how to do it at least sounds reasonable but but not all night when you're trying to sleep exactly the word pleasant up there when you were talking about the the ram's horn was a more pleasant to them than i can't imagine how bad there's also uh, a, a, a psalm for uh, that's kind of known as the psalm for the Feast of Trumpets. It's Psalm 81, if you want to turn to it just for a moment. Uh, psalm 81, verse 1. It says, For the music director uh, on the Gittite lyre of Asaph, sing for joy to God our strength, shout to the God of Jacob. Lift up a song and sound and sound a tambourine, a sweet lyre with a harp. Blow the shofar, you might have trumpet, blow the shofar at the new moon. What happens at the new moon? The Feast of Trumpets, right? So that's what he's talking about here. Blow the shofar at the new moon during the Feast of, on the Feast of Trumpets. At the full moon, which is a different holiday, uh, at the full moon for the day of our festival. So that's known as the psalm for the Feast of Trumpets for obvious reasons right there. It talks about blowing the shofar. It talks about the Feast of the New Moon. So this new Bible of mine, uh, it has um, psalm devotions in the back of it. And so this is the devotion for Psalm 81, written by a Messianic Jew. It says, because musical tastes don't necessarily transfer across cultures, perhaps not everyone will appreciate the sound when an ancient uh, or modern Jew decides to lift up a song and sound a tambourine, much less let loose with a blast of a shofar. We admit it can be a bit jarring, but that's the point. It's supposed to command your attention because here comes the judge. Irrespective, these sounds were part and parcel of the psalmist's world and a way he and other Levites would liven it up in a religious celebration such as a new moon, most likely the new moon in question is uh, Yom Teruah, the day of blowing, shofars, nowadays commonly called Rosh Hashanah, which occurs on a new moon on the first day of the seventh month. The full moon for the day of our festival was most likely during Sukkot, the festival of tabernacles following Yom Teruah. These festivals are always occasions for noisy celebration. <laughs> So that's the sound we're going to give for the rapture. Then. Yes, sir. We're going to get to that. Chuck, you're, I mean, you're so, you're so far ahead of me. The reformed people do not. Reformed people? Yeah, they, they skip over this. They explain everything in detail, and then they come to the trumpets, and they say nothing. And they, they don't say it. Reformed Jews? No. Oh, the Reformed Jews. Oh, no. Yeah. Everybody has a right to believe wrongly if they want. <laughs> Yes. No question about it. So let's talk about some of the traditions of Rosh Hashanah, of the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is on the first of the first of Tishri, the first day of the seventh month, 
And uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is on the 10th of uh, Tishri, 10 days apart. And so this 10-day period is known as the day of the Days of Awe, A-W-E, the Days of Awe. And Jewish tradition says that during these 10 days, God judges you and decides whether you get to live for the next year. And so that's why it's called the Days of Awe. If you know you have 10 days for God to make a decision on your future, living or dying, those are kind of serious days, aren't they? And so the idea is that God reviews on Rosh Hashanah the books of judgment in heaven. And then on Yom Kippur, he meets out his decision. So basically, it's during these 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that you can change God's mind and uh, to meet out a, a, a positive uh, judgment on your behalf. And so during those 10 days, you're meant to have serious self-reflection. Uh, you're meant to repent of your wayward lifestyle. And uh, it's a time throughout the land where no you know, joyous celebrations are supposed to happen, no weddings for example, happened. It's during this 10-day period is a day to be solemn and circumspect and to really, you know, get on God's good side, if you want to put it that way. And so they spend a lot of time to do that. One of the other traditions they have is called the casting ceremony. And if you want to look in uh, Micah uh, chapter 7, um, this is where they get, it's called the casting ceremony. Let's see if I can find it here. Micah, yeah, Micah, Micah, Micah. Yeah, no, it's not Micah. Uh, where did I have it? Micah. Hold on. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Micah chapter 7. Micah 7, verse 18. Okay. It says, Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity? Overlooking transgression. This is what we want him to do, right, during that time of all. To pardon our iniquity, to overlook our transgression. For the remnant of his heritage, who is us, uh, who were the Jewish people, he will not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities, and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will extend truth to Jacob, mercy to Abraham, and you will that you swore to our ancestors from days of old. That's another thing important, that you swore to our ancestors in days of old. But what do you do? You cast your sins into the depths of the sea. So this casting ceremony is they would get, they would, they would congregate beside a, a body of water. It could be the ocean. It could be a lake. It could be a river. It could be a pond. Um, it could even be a well. And they would take bread with yeast, which represents what? Their sins, right? And what would they do with that bread? They would cast it into the water. And the idea is by casting their sin into the water, that the water would sweep their sin away and it would be forgotten and forgiven and swept away from them. And so that was part of that 10 day day of all that they would do, this casting ceremony. Also, tradition held that the resurrection of the dead after the Messiah's return would take place on Rosh Hashanah, that that would take place during on that specific day of the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, and that's why many Jewish gravestones today are engraved with shofars, because they believe that the, the resurrection of the dead will happen at the blowing of the shofar on the day of the Feast of Trumpets. Also tradition held in the Talmud, which was an ancient translation of scripture, uh, and a commentary would be a better way to say, ancient commentary on scripture, uh, that the world was created by God on the month of Tishri, because it's the seventh month, right? The number of God, seven. And so God created uh, the world, the earth, on, on during the month of Tishri, and on Rosh Hashanah specifically, on the first of Tishri, that God created Adam. So those are the traditions uh, of Rosh Hashanah from ancient history. Uh, today, the services 
of Rosh Hashanah can be long uh, because they go through the whole reading of many scriptures and so forth and the idea of, you know, finding redemption and, and, and admitting your, your sins and so on and so forth. It takes a while to get through all of that. But the theme today of, of the Jewish people who uh, celebrate Rosh Hashanah, uh, the, the, the celebration of the first of the year, uh, the first of a new year, but the theme as far as God is concerned is God's kingship, God's kingship, that the Lord is king. And when I think about that, I think, and when I, what I think about is, you know, Jesus on the cross and the sign that Pilate put above him, uh, the here is the king of the Jews. And that was so uh, awful for those religious leaders of that day. To see that above Jesus' head, you know, the King of the Jews, because they have this whole holy day that uh, part of it is recognizing, you know, that God is King, and uh, and so here, you know, is a sign that says, well, here is here is here is your King, you know. So there today there are three benedictions that they recite during Rosh Hashanah. First benediction has to do with kingship with God's kingship that uh, emphasizes God's sovereignty and his majesty. The second is is the benediction of remembrances. And the benediction of remembrances is to ask God to remember his covenant and his promise to his people. We just read it there in Micah. It says, uh, you will extend truth to Jacob, mercy to Abraham, that you swore to our ancestors from the days of old. Hey God, remember that you made this promise to us as your people. And then the third one is, uh, it's, it has to do all with the shofar again. Uh, Benediction's about the shofar, and it concentrates and focuses on the key role of sh- the shofar in the history of his people. Now this is where I think it gets to be fun. So we don't have much time, but let's try to rush it really quick. So um, look in Exodus 19, Exodus 19, here we go. Exodus 19, and um, we're going to start at verse 10. And it says, um, Adonai said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothing. Be ready for the third day, for on the third day Adonai will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. You are to set boundaries for the people all around, saying, Be very careful not to go up onto the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. Not a hand is to touch it, for but he will surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it is an animal or a man, it will not live. When the shofar sounds, they may come up to the mountain. So in other words, God is saying, when the shofar, shofar, shofar sounds, the people come out of their tents and basically to the base of the mountain to meet ostensibly with him. So uh, Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated them, and then they washed their clothing. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not draw near your wives. No sexual relations during this time. Verse 16, in the morning of the third day, what happened in the morning of the third day for us as Christians, right? The resurrection of Christ. So in the morning of the third day, a special day, There was thundering and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of an exceedingly loud shofar. God is sounding his own shofar. Only happens two places in scripture. This is the first one. All the people in the camp trembled, wouldn't you? Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the lowest part of the mountain. Now the entire Mount Sinai was in smoke because Adonai had descended upon it in fire. The smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. When the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with a thunderous sound. Then Adonai came down onto Mount Sinai. God came down to meet with his people. Okay? Uh, Adonai called Moses up to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and Adonai said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through 
to see Adonai, and uh, many of them die. Even the Kohanim, which is the priests, even the Kohanim who come near to Adonai must consecrate themselves so that Adonai does not break out against them. Moses said to Adonai, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you are the only one who's saying, set the battery on my So like, God, we're, we're to care of that. Don't worry, but that's already been done. We've already done there, been that. I mean, been there, done that. <laughs> been there, done that. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> then Adonai said to him, go down. It's like, don't argue with me. Go down there. I told you to do that. You are to come back up, and you and Aaron with you, but don't let the Kohenim, the priest, and the people break through and come up to Adonai, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So this is the importance of the shofar to the people of God, that God himself sounded the shofar when he came down to meet with them uh, at Mount Sinai. So let's move over then to Zechariah, Zechariah 9, Zechariah 9, verse 14. This is the second time that God blows his shofar. Now, if you find Zechariah 9, first, just to give you the context, look at verse 9. Uh, Zechariah is hard to find. Nine. Look in your table of contents. Uh, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, a righteous one, bringing salvation. He is lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, so you've heard that before, right? A lot of times, right? right. This, is, this passage in chapter 9 is talking about the coming of Messiah. The coming of Messiah. So if you go over then to verse uh, 14, it says, Then Adonai will be, will be seen over them, over his people, as his arrow flashes like lightning. Adonai Elohim, that means the God of great power, uh, the sovereign God, the God of great power. Adonai Elohim will blow the shofar. He's blowing his own shofar again. Hasn't happened since. Now this is in the future. This hasn't happened yet. This is happening in the future. He will blow his shofar and march in whirlwinds of the south. Adonai Tzavot, I don't know how you pronounce that. It means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of an army, will defend them. So this is looking at the future when God will come to save his people in the future from uh, destruction. And he will, and the Messiah, and, and to, their, to their thinking uh, of the Jewish rabbis today, this is, represents the coming of Messiah in the future. Of course, we know that that's already happened. Uh, the first one, but he's going to come back again, uh, isn't he? So uh, we as Christians find this in a little bit of a different place. If you want to go to Matthew, uh, that'll be easier to find than Zechariah. Matthew 24 uh, Matthew 24, Matthew. Come on, Matthew. Where are you? 24, okay. Matthew 24, 30. Now, for us as Christians, this is where this is what we see. This is where we see the judgment happening. And what has happened, this is just to give you a little quick reference here. Okay, so uh, verse 24, 1. Now, when Yeshua, Jesus, went out and was going away from the temple, his disciples came up to him to point out the temple buildings. Don't you see these? He responded to them. Amen. I tell you, not one stone will be left here on top of another. Every one will be torn down. Then verse three, as he was sitting at the Mount of Olives, disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And then he went and he told them certain things. So verse 30, he says, then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the land will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a great shofar and they will gather together his chosen uh, from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So it's a shofar. The shofar is so important to them and to us. So what I want to do right now is, is play uh, this video. It's two minutes because uh, we are going to now see where is Jesus in the Feast of Trumpets, in the blowing of the shofar. Where is he in all of this? And so Zola Levitt is going to tell us that, and then we'll wrap it up uh, after this. So.
Location is uh, the center of the earth, as I said. I don't know how else to describe it. The temple site in the, the old city of Jerusalem. Behind me, the parapet, uh, the southwestern corner of the temple, very, very high, where the trumpeter blew uh, the ram's horn to begin this feast of trumpets, which we're talking about. Above us, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. And uh, behind me, along that western wall, the famous Wailing Wall, where the Jews are praying and uh, uh, are preparing, if it is the Feast of Trumpets, then for the Day of Atonement ten days later, the ten awesome days before which they must confess all of their sins for the whole year. Now, in the prophetic schedule, and the feasts describe a wonderful succession of prophecy. I had said before the Lord was crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, raised on first fruits, sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and indeed, from Pentecost, the late May, let's say, over to the Feast of Trumpets somewhere in September, that's a long period, and that period expresses the season of grace. It's the only a time span that's not exact because we don't know exactly when the Lord will blow that trumpet and call the church home. Uh, this is the, the rapture, of course, the Feast of Trumpets is what we're anticipating. I can't be dogmatic about it because the Lord said, No man knows the day, and he said, At such a time as ye think not. But let me put it this way, if he does what he did four times before, he should come on a Feast of Trumpets. Uh, you might say, if no man knows, how can you begin to say it? Well, <laughs> the churches don't study the feasts. You're certainly not going to stumble over them in the seminaries. And uh, the Jews have the stuff. They call this one New Year's, where God said uh, in Exodus 12 that the first month, Nisan, the month of Passover, is the head of the month to you. So they've changed to a fiscal year. The church is forgetting the Old Testament. And <laughs> the Lord can actually do what he did four times before and surprise almost everybody. Right. Now, his That's voice it. is as a trumpet, a, a festival for trumpets, and in one place in the Bible, the Lord's voice is heard uh, at the beginning of the... So, in two minutes, what he's saying is that, you know, there was, in God's, in the poetry of God, right, there was the Passover, which was uh, Jesus' death, the unleavened bread, which was Jesus' burial, uh, the first fruits, which is Jesus' resurrection. Those all happen in April and May. And then you have the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is the beginning of the church. And those April, May, June, and July, they all happen pretty close to one another. But then you don't have another one until you get to September or October, which is the Feast of Trumpets. And so you have an extended period of time between Pentecost or uh, uh, Pentecost and, and the Feast of Weeks and uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. And so that extended time is the church age. That's the time that we're living in now. It's this extended period of time. Now, when is that church age going to end? We don't know. But how's it going to end? It's going to end right when God comes, what? Down to meet with his people like he did at Mount Sinai. And what was the distinctive thing that happened in Mount Sinai that, that told the people, I'm coming for you now. I'm ready to meet you. The shofar. He sounded his shofar, right? And so when the next thing is supposed to happen in the prophetic time frame is the rapture. What happens in the rapture? He comes down to meet with his people and what do you think is going to be the pronouncement of that? Well, we know. Let's look at let's look at Thessalonians real quick. First Thessalonians. We'll end on this today. First Thessalonians, uh, chapter four. We'll start at verse thirteen. So Thessalonians four thirteen. Now we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Yeshua died, Jesus died and rose again, so with him God will also bring those who have fallen asleep in Yeshua. For this we tell you by the word of the Lord, 
that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall in no way precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the blast of God's shofar. And the dead in Messiah will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left behind, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to what? Meet the Lord. They met him at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now we're meeting him in the air. He comes down to get us. Shofar, hey, I'm come, I'm here. Come out and meet me. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So the wonderful poetry of God. He comes down with the shofar and meets with his people in Mount Sinai. And he's going to come down again in the future with the sounding of the shofar and meet with us and bring us to be with him. And it is going to happen uh, during what is going to be, if God is a God of time, which he has been all through scripture, it will happen on the uh, Feast of Trumpets on Rosh Hashanah. So is it important us to know the Jewish holidays? Well, if you know the Jewish holidays, you know we don't know when it's going to happen in terms of time, but we know when it's going to happen in terms of the day, I think. I agree with them. I think it'll be Rosh Hashanah when uh, when uh, the rapture will take place. What year, I don't know, but what day, I do know. So, Yes, Dennis? Just one comment about the interval. Um, uh, Israel is an agrarian culture, and uh, they would uh, sow their crops and the beginning, the first fruits of the harvesting and all that. But all summer long they were harvesting, and they were uh, getting ready to plant new. But uh, uh, Jesus said, pray for the Lord of the harvest, and we are the harvest. I mean, all of those, during these interval months of the church, we are the ones who were out laboring to bring in the sheaves. And I think that's such a, in my own image, uh, mind, uh, that's the wonderful image of who we are and what we're to be about. And the interesting thing is, whether we're harvested from this life now during this age, or we're called up in the air to be with him at the rapture, what qualifies us? That, that For us, that's freedom. We are freed from this life of sin and struggle to a wonderful freedom of the freedom of a new life and eternity with God. What qualifies us for that transition from this life to the next life, from this life of struggle and hardship to the freedom of uh, that eternal life of wonder and love and joy in his presence? What qualifies us for that transition? It's repentance. We get freedom through repentance. The repentance of saying to God, I'm sorry, and I need a Savior. And, you know, in, in, in the Old Testament, they had an imperfect redemption. We have a perfect redemption because we have a perfect Redeemer. What qualifies us for that redemption? We, uh, we repent. We turn away from this life and turn, and turn towards him through faith in Christ. And that's what gives us... And believe the gospel. Yeah, believe his word. So, and apply, you know, so that's it. Believe, and uh, we get the freedom of um, being in a better place someday, whether it's. Sing the song that has perfect redemption. Mm hmm. Exactly. Good. Excellent. Okay, yes. You may have mentioned this. I don't know, but with the first fruits, I, or I read it somewhere, that the other people that were raised from the dead when Jesus rose. Yes. We're part of the first Yes, we did talk about that. Uh, we did talk about where, you know, that was his, um, that was what he brought, you know, that uh, he wasn't a farmer. He saves lives. And so his offering for first fruits was to bring people back to life. Yeah, exactly. Very good. All right, that's all I got, guys. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, 
the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom. Thank you.